0: my profession is not really one that's uh, a lot real popular outside of this building but there are a couple of times in uh, most people's lives where I'm needed or at least my profession is needed when you're getting married and when you're getting buried those are a couple of times that most folks at least in our culture will go to the church for help or for at least some function. Not necessarily for the Lord. Uh, Some have said that the only difference between your wedding and your funeral is that at your wedding you can smell the flowers. But um, I think there's a great benefit actually in attending both. I don't mean like attending your funeral. Of course you'll be there. But I mean like attending others or attending other weddings. There's a great benefit because, and I love to do weddings because I get to stand there, you know, right in front of this couple that's just oogling over each other and saying all, making all these promises that they have no idea how hard it will be to keep. But it's great to do because it reminds me, it reminds everybody, coming to a wedding of the promise. It's a great reminder of a promise perhaps you made when you got married. Going to funerals is also a great reminder, because as you sit there and look at the loved one or friend that lies there, uh, it's a reminder that you'll be there one day, and there is hardly any more perspective given on life than death. It forces you to remember that uh, the time is short. I always get a kick out of this sign as you're riding down the freeway. You see freeway ends one mile. We've got one of these up by uh, Good Eats. And, you know, I always get this mental picture of the highway just stopping and cars kind of flying off. But it's warning you at least, you know, you, you got one mile before you fly off the edge of the, uh, of the freeway. Well, I also thought it would be very beneficial if we had signs that said this, you know, life ends. 50 years. I mean, you know how long it's going to be. Or it could be 50 minutes. But we don't have that, do we? We don't know exactly when our life is going to end. Ecclesiastes says, in fact, no man has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the day of his death. This isn't going to be a message about death per se, it really is a message about life and about decisions, about decisions that are going to take you either down that road where the highway ends and all of a sudden you fly off, or down another road that is a way of blessing. So I want to ask you to turn, if you would, in your Bible to Psalm 1, the book of Psalms chapter 1, or Psalm 1. Hardly a person hasn't heard the closing of Robert Frost's poem that goes this way. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere, ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. There really are two roads in this life. One is well-worn. It is common, it is comfortable, it's cozy. But it ends flying off the edge of the freeway into the abyss. The other road requires a machete. It requires a guide. It requires a map to know which way to go. And it's the way that Jesus said is narrow. Jesus said there are a couple of different ways. There's a, the broad way that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow way that leads to life. Most people, Jesus said, head down the broad way because it's easy. There really isn't any effort required. And yet you end up flying off the freeway. We're gonna look at these two roads, these two paths because they're laid out very plainly. And yet the great benefit of standing at the fork here is that you get to see the end you know, in the, in the Frost poem, you get the idea that he wasn't sure which way to go. Take the road less traveled, perhaps because it might be more interesting. But you're not real sure which to, what's the destination. Was it Yogi Berra that said, when you come to the fork in the road, take it? <laughs> which way? Well, this psalm tells us. Because this fork that you come to, you come to every single day. And it's a decision that you make daily that determines your destination. Well, let's look at the very first verse. Gaze down this first path for just a second. Verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers." We're introduced to a person we're told is blessed because he doesn't do something. Blessed. This word here for blessed, you could translate it almost happy. A lot of times you'll hear it taught in the scripture that God never wants you to be happy well, because he wants you to be holy. Well, that's wrong. God wants you to be holy. He's more concerned about you being holy in this life than he is about you being happy. You will not always be happy, but God does always want you to be holy. But this Psalm is saying you are blessed and this particular word has the idea of a lot of blessing or happy. It's the same idea Jesus used, not the same word because it's a different language that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount as he said, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the humble or the meek. And we often call those the Beatitudes or the Be Happy Attitudes. And it's the same idea. Happy are those who are such and so. And so while God is more concerned that you be holy, there really is a path to happiness, or at least about as good as it gets in this life. And we're told that this decision, this fork in the road comes, first of all, by not doing something. And we're told three things here, not this, not that, nor this, nor that. And uh, Hebrew poetry is not like our poetry or our songs today. Our songs today rhyme usually with meter and uh, rhyme like the end of a word, a couple of words will rhyme. we think it's creative and clever depending on how the meter goes and how the melody goes and if it rhymes right. We think that's a good song. Psalm. The psalms or Hebrew poetry in psalms, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, the poet, poetical sections of scripture don't rhyme so much with sound as they do with thought. You'll have a line or a thought and then that thought will be repeated. Maybe that thought will be contrasted. But what makes it intriguing is is the thought is repeated. And that's exactly what you have here. You have one idea repeated three different ways that a person doesn't, first of all, walk in the path of sinners, nor sit, uh, stand in the path, walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. You've got these three things. It's basically saying the same thing that a person does not commit the basis on which they make decisions to the world. What the world says to do is not the basis of the decision-making process. And notice also in this parallel thought that the person is keeps slowing down, it's almost that they're settling. They go from walk, to stand, to sit. It's almost like there's a progression of, you know, being convinced or a progression in the belief of the world system. We're told that a person is blessed if this is not the criteria by which they walk. You know sometimes people will come to me for counseling or want to get together for lunch or something after they've gone and they're confused because they've gone to like a secular counselor or something and they're a Christian. And now if there's anything wrong with secular counseling as long as they're counseling the truth but so often what you'll have is a person counseling another person based on what they want to hear or what the counselor experience has told them or because they've studied Freud or or some somebody else that doesn't base their counseling on God's word but rather on the wisdom of men and they're not sure what to do because their counselor has told them to do such and so and yet as a Christian they knew they know that that's wrong And we'll often turn to Psalm 1 and say, you know, God says you're blessed if you don't do what that person says. Because that's the counsel of the wicked. Not that the person themselves are wicked, but that the counsel is not God's word. You're blessed if you don't do that. But rather, you do something else. What is it then that you are to do? If you're not to do all this, not walk in the counsel of the wicked, not stand in the path of sinners, not sit in the seat of scoffers, then what are you to do? Where is your decision-making criteria to come from? Look at the very next verse and then this is the contrast. Rather than this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. A man is blessed, a person is happy, who does not walk in the counsel of the world, but rather walks in the counsel of the Bible, in the law of God. And it's not so much that you hear these two and that you pick to walk down the road that is the Bible, but notice it says he meditates. He doesn't just choke it down. He delights in the law of the Lord. And it's not just believing the truth, but he is meditating on it. Meditation. Now you hear about meditation in our culture today and you're not real sure what that means or what it could mean. It could mean anything. Particularly the Eastern idea or New Age idea of meditation is the the thought of emptying your mind, which is pretty hard to do. You can't imagine that your mind would have nothing in it. But to empty your mind as opposed to the true meditation is to fill it. To fill it with truth. To meditate upon the truth of Scripture. And meditate on it day and night. It's not just Sunday morning, it's not just during your quiet time or your devotions. What do we got? Music going on in here? We got music playing back there? All right. Do you hear it or is it just me? Okay, I want to make sure. Maybe Jesus is coming and I don't know it. God told Joshua a very similar thing here. Joshua was afraid of his responsibilities. Moses had died, big, great leader. Joshua, now you're going to take the people into the promised land. And God told Joshua over and over in chapter 1, do not fear, do not be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. And then he challenges him. In verse 8, just listen to this where he... Tells Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. That is, know it, consider it, and chew on it day and night. And again, that's a Hebrew way of saying all the time. Day and night. That didn't mean that you never sleep, but it means all the time. All of your existence, you are thinking about the truth of Scripture, thinking about the law of the Lord, God's word. And as you do that, you will be, jo- Joshua was promised, successful, which is exactly what our next verse tells us in verse three. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Now stop there for a second and get that mental image. You ever walked on the greenbelt out there in Aubrey or the, uh, been by a river in Colorado where you've got these huge, beautiful trees and you can see perhaps there's erosion beside the beside the river and these roots of these trees are just digging down deep into the river. That's the picture that you're to get here. He is like this tree. A man who does not listen to the counsel of the world but instead listens to the counsel of the word is like a tree that is planted firmly that its roots are going down deep into the water planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. Here you see some of the blessing of meditating on the truth of God's word. And you also get a perspective because a tree doesn't receive water from the stream and bear fruit the same day. Now, if we're to take this image, you don't want to take it too far, but yet yet, what is true of a tree is also true of us. That you can soak your mind in the truth of Scripture, but sometimes it takes a while of living that out before there is life change. Now, us, when we go to the Scripture in the morning, we'll read it perhaps, and we'll think, boy, Lord, that's fantastic, and we expect God to make the change that day. And he may not do it. Because even the tree bears fruit in its season, and yet it is constantly nourished by that stream. You need to be patient with God's word and allow it to perform its function in your life in God's time and not your own time. It will. Just as sure as a tree is going to bear fruit with its roots down in the water, so you are going to bear fruit in your life and experience the the blessing, the happiness that is promised here, that is predicted, in its season. In its season. This is the road less traveled. This precious scripture teaches us the wonderful truth that meditating on God's word begins the life change that you want. Now, I didn't say brings because it's a process. It begins. How does that life change you want take place? You know, everybody wants their life to change. You ask anybody sitting next to you, would you like your life to change? Everybody would say yes. You bet. I want my life to change. Everybody wants their life to get better, don't they? How does it happen? You're going to hear a lot of different views on how it happens. And yet the scripture, the very first psalm, tells you how it happens. By meditating on God's word. It begins that life change. Because in season, you will bear fruit. You will experience the blessing that this psalm predicts. Meditating on God's word gives us the truth to think about day and night, all day. It gives us the truth to live out. Notice this person is blessed in what he does. Not in what he thinks. Not in what he believes. But in what he does there is action, there is application to the truth that he is meditating on. This is the road less traveled. It is a road that begins in the mind by meditating, by thinking. Oliver Cromwell once told the English parliament, the mind is the man. Very succinct, and yet it's true. As a man thinks, the scripture says, so he is, so he will live. Whatever shapes a person's thinking, shapes a person's life. You can't think error and live truth. You can't do it. We've seen in our series that the spiritual life is your life and that the key to the spiritual life is your thinking. And just as the key to your thinking is a meditation on truth, it's what the New Testament calls the renewal of the mind. You want your life renewed? You've got to begin with your mind renewed because if you think about your past what has caused you to make decisions that you have come to regret for your life but that you have meditated on some lie or believed some bad advice that following that advice was the road to go down and yet it was the precipice that took you off took you off the edge which is what satan wants you to do just like in the garden just like with the woman in the garden muddied the water, took God's word out of the picture to where Eve was standing there with nothing but her own wits, and she made a decision based on her emotions and on her, her senses. She saw that it looked good, etc. And she fell. But yet God's word had clearly said that it wasn't to be eaten. If Satan can get you out of God's word, you will have no guidance but yourself, and he will deceive you into stumbling. If I only had more money, if only my spouse would do such and so, if only my boss would shape up, my life would be better if you fill in the blank would change. And yet this scripture is not telling us that. The Bible gives you no such affirmation that your circumstances have to change before your life is going to improve. You look at the Lord Jesus Christ as he knelt in the garden of Gethsemane. Did he want his circumstances to change? Sure he did. He asked them to change. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours. That Christ knew that the will of God was what he ought to walk in, even if it meant going to the cross. And it's the same with you and me. It's the same with you and me look at the screen at Romans 8 for a moment because it says the same thing. The mind set on the flesh is death. Or if you have the New International Version, it would say something like the sinful nature. The mind set on the sinful nature is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is saying, look, you can boil down success and failure in the spiritual life to a very simple process of where your mind is set. What are you meditating on? What are you thinking about throughout the day? That is, is going to determine the direction of your life. That is the fork in the road is the mind and what you do with your mind. Paul says you take every thought captive unto obedience to the Lord. Paul says that whatever is good, noble, right, excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. Paul says set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul says, therefore... Uh, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Over and over throughout Paul's letters, he says, you want a successful spiritual life? Then you've got to have a life that thinks well. A life that is renewed, not simply by reading the Bible. That's fantastic, but it cannot end there. It is a life that meditates on the truth of this book. If you can learn how to think, you can learn how to choose to respond in a situation rather than to react in a situation. One of the most effective ways to meditate on scripture is to learn it, to memorize it. And you know, most of us don't like to memorize anything that we don't have to because of, it, takes, it takes discipline, it takes work. And yet we have also found a great benefit in memorizing, haven't we? How many of you have to look up your phone number? we just moved and I didn't know my phone number for about a week until I finally got tired of looking someplace for it that, alright, this is crazy, I gotta learn my own phone number. And so I sat down and, and you know, did it a few times and oh, said, how can I remember that? Can, okay, got it. And so now, now I know my phone number and I'll probably remember it because I'll keep using it. We, we think such something so simple like that and yet what it shows us is the great benefit of having something memorized. In your job, If you had to thumb back through all the books in college or all the books in trade school or wherever you learned your skill, you'd be out of there in a couple of days. We ain't got time for you to keep referencing this. You're paid to know this. right? There's a benefit to, to learning. The exact same thing is true in the spiritual life. And as we've seen in the scripture, we have seen over and over that the level of your spiritual life is the level of your life. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, that is your life, be it good or bad. And so the great benefit of learning God's word is that it's ready as soon as you need it. You don't have to wait till you get home to find it and then go, yeah, now where was that? There'll be times you'll do that, and for that you need a concordance. Everybody in this room needs a concordance along with their Bible. Because what a concordance does for you, it allows you to look up a verse you have no idea where it is. You remember a word? Look that word up. And then thumb down through until you find, oh yeah, that's, there's the verse, and you can turn to it. You need a concordance as well as a scripture. Before he was a Christian, Dawson Trotman was on his way to jail, literally, as a teenager. Um, and he, you know, bargained with God. You ever done this? God, if you get me out of this one... I promise I'll dot, dot, dot. And Dawson's promise was he'd go to church. If you get me out of this, if I don't have to go to jail, I'll go to church. Well, he didn't have to go to jail. And so he decided, well, I better keep my end of the bargain. And he goes to church, and he was a youth at the time, and goes to a youth group that uh, their challenge that week, or for the next week, was to learn ten verses. Everybody in the group was going to learn ten verses. And Dawson wasn't a Christian. He thought, well, i I said I'd go to church, so I'll be part of this group. So, Every day at his construction site and at the lumber yard, Dawson memorized these ten verses. And when he went to the meeting the next Sunday night, he was the only one who had learned them. None of the believers there did it. And yet he, as an unbeliever, learned these verses. You know, we know our phone number. We know our social security number. We know our driver's license number. You know your mother's maiden name. Anything that is relevant to you, Anything that you regularly use, you will learn. And that's really the whole point. I think so much of the failure in our lives is because we do not regularly use God's Word. Therefore, we don't regularly know it and have it on our lips and ready. Like we talked about last week with the Lord Jesus in the wilderness of Judea, out there all by himself, Satan comes and tempts him. Jesus didn't have the book of Deuteronomy tucked under his arm. But he did have portions of Deuteronomy in his mind, to where when Satan tempted him, immediately Jesus was able to say, it is written. And he clinged to the word of God. And that's the way we are as well. You can uh, learn a very simple, some very simple verses. In fact, if you've got your bulletin there, pull it out and look at the, look at the bottom of the back side topical memory system. These are a few verses, and these are not all the verses, but these are the ones that I have found very, very helpful, extremely basic to your walk as a believer. And yet, if you will learn these verses, I'll make you a promise, if you will learn these verses, if you will meditate on the truth of these verses, it will change your life, because that is what God's Word is intended to do. It has helped me. In fact, where is it? Prayer. His look at the idea of, of uh, prayer. Oh, it's got to be on there. It is. Yeah, the third from third, uh, fourth down from the top on the left column. Prayer. Philippians four, six, and seven. Remember that verse. That's the verse that says, "Do not be anxious about anything." Can you apply that in your life? You bet. You could learn that verse today, and it, and it would start to help. Don't be anxious about anything. Anything. Yeah, but anything, don't be anxious about anything, but rather in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's the hard part, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Had a professor at seminary just this last year, his daughter was dying and finally did go home to be with the Lord. And he said that during that difficult time of watching her go downhill, he said, in fact, I I talked to him personally, and he said this particular verse, he said, this verse works. Don't be anxious about anything. And he says, my daughter's dying. The Lord tells me not to be anxious. And this is a basic verse. I mean, many of you I know probably have this verse memorized. I learned this verse in college, going to college. You need to learn it. He said that that verse was what I clung to. Not to be anxious about anything. God is in control. God made the earth by speaking. Can he not be sovereign over my daughter's life or death? And if he takes her, is he not wise? Don't be anxious about anything. And if you don't know the scripture says that, you don't know that the scripture promises you the peace that passes understanding, you're going to be struggling, really struggling in your heart. The issues of obedience to Christ, God's word, fellowship, look at the far right column. You need his spirit, you need his strength, you need his peace, you need his provision. You're struggling with God providing? There are some verses there for you to learn and meditate on the truth. As you do, as you do, it will change. What are you struggling with right now? I know you are, we all do. What is it? What are you struggling with right now? You could tell me like that, probably a list of ten things. Well, I'm struggling with these things. Now, in a column on the other side, what verse are you meditating on that gives you strength about those struggles? You see, that's why we walk down that road so often and head off the edge. Because, like Eve in the garden, we've got the decision to make, but we don't have the Scripture, the Word of God, as the means by which we can make the decision properly. And instead, we're left with the counsel of the wicked, the path of sinners, and the seed of scoffers, because we have not delighted in the law of the Lord. And we don't have a means by which to walk down that road less traveled. What are you struggling with right now? Get you a verse that you can meditate on. And if it's not listed here, come to me and we'll find one. Because I guarantee you, whatever it is you're struggling with in your life, the Bible addresses it. And God wants you to trust Him and His Word over your fears and the counsel of our culture. Well, let's look down the other road real quickly. Look at verse 4 total contrast to the one who is rooted like a tree, we have in verse 4, the wicked are not so, they are like chaff which the wind drives away. You know what chaff is? It's all the leftovers that would happen after you brought in a harvest of like wheat or barley. All the stuff that you didn't want is what would blow away when you would you take that mound of your harvest and you would toss it up into the, into the air and the air would blow away all the garbage all the chaff and the good stuff the wheat and barley would fall down because it was heavier he says in contrast to a person who believes in the word of God who's, who is rooted deeply like a tree if you're not rooted deeply in the word of God you are like that chaff whew, that the wind just blows away what a contrast those are the two paths to walk down Look at the simple conclusion of these two roads, the last two verses. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That word therefore knows in the Hebrew, it's the same word that used in Genesis when it says that Adam knew his wife. It spoke of their physical intimate relationship. Incredible intimate word of knowledge. It doesn't mean that the Lord has information about us. That he is omniscient. Though he is, but this word means he intimately knows our ways. He intimately knows us. How does that come about? In the context, it comes through meditating on the scripture. Meditating on God's word. So just as we saw that meditating on God's word begins the life change you want, so ignoring God's word refuses the life change you want. You want your life to change? You have a choice. You can meditate on God's word or you can ignore God's word and it will affect your life. It will change your life, one or the other. Both will change your life. There's a lady named Mary who serves at the Claremont Graduate University. She attended a Methodist church as a child but as she grew up, she began searching other spiritual traditions, Buddhism, transcendental meditation. She even got into telepathy where she was bending spoons. And one of her students, a graduate student, came up to her and said, you know, if you're ever interested in the spiritual life, I'd be glad to help you. And she said, you know, I, I didn't really think I needed help in the spiritual life. I mean, after all, I'm bending spoons, you know, that's a big deal. And so she continued to refuse this guy until finally one night she had a dream. And she said that she dreamed that she was in a long receiving line. It stretched, she said, just as far as she could see. And at the end of the receiving line was Jesus. And the closer she got to him, the more nervous she got. And finally she stood before Jesus, and she knew it was Jesus Christ. And she said she fell at his feet and was just in shame. And she woke up crying and terrified. So she calls this guy, this graduate student, and says, you know, I'm kind of interested in talking about the spiritual life. He says, well, let's get together. And they did, and she shared this dream with him, and he listened, and he said, do you have a Bible? And uh, she didn't, so he made sure she had one. He said, look, why don't you do this? Why don't you read uh, maybe some Psalms, maybe a chapter of Proverbs a day. And Jesus, Jesus was in your dream. He was in the New Testament. Why don't you read the New Testament as well? And he just left it there. I mean, just left it there. And this lady began reading her Bible, reading the New Testament about Jesus Christ and seeing what he was like. That was November. All the way through January, she read. And then in January, there was some function at her old Methodist church she and her mom went to. And this Methodist pastor, he nailed it. He said it was had to be communion that day. And he said... You don't have to be a christian to uh to take part in i mean you don't have to be a member to take part in communion, but you do need to be a christian and he said, and what that means is you've placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sins and this lady said immediately she knew that's what she needed to do she needed to believe and she took communion for the first time, and she said this she said these are her words she said she knelt down and said. Please come and get me. Please come and get me. Please come and get me. Talking to the Lord. We say some crazy things to God, don't we? That was her prayer of salvation. Please come and get me. And then she said this, I felt felt like tons of things had been lifted off of me, and I began to have an insatiable desire, desire to read the Bible. Romans 1 said that God is obvious to everyone, and the minds of people who deny him become darkened. That was me. But the scriptures began to heal my mind so I could actually think again. Her mind was becoming renewed. Now as we pray, as we say amen, we're going to head out the door and there's a fork right outside that door. We have worked it. It's taken us all hour while uh, you've been in here, but there is a fork in the road. You walk out that door and there is a fork. There is a decision that you will make actually it begins right now, of what path you're gonna walk down. You're going to be given the challenge from this culture to listen to what it says, that money is the key to happiness, that stuff is the key to happiness, the vacation, the weekend. You live for the experience and when that's done take the next experience. That is the counsel of the wicked. You will never find contentment in the depth of your heart living that way. And yet many Christians Believe in Jesus Christ and yet buy into the lie of the world and that's that's the direction they head. And yet, the other direction is to meditate on the truth of God's word. Where are you struggling? Find a verse for that. Meditate on it day and night. All day long throughout the day. Chew on that truth. I mean, if you've got to tape it to your shirt, think about it all day long. And in season, it will bear fruit and you will be blessed, as the, as the text says. This is the road less traveled. And if you walk it, it'll make all the difference. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today that your word gives us a clue to itself, an invitation to itself, that we would open the book and that we would see that there are two paths to walk, And never were truer words spoken that we have to make a decision. And it is based, beginning and end, with our thinking, with our mind. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin today to think biblically in our area of struggle, that we would apply the Bible to it. That where we are struggling to trust you, we would cling to Scripture. That where we are struggling to stay faithful, we would cling to Scripture. Decisions we have to make about money, about relationships, about location, job, and whatnot. We would attach it to scripture, and we would meditate on it, day and night, and so be blessed. Lord give us the strength today to walk down that narrow path, for your glory, we pray in Jesus name. Lord bless you. Hi, this is Wayne Stiles. You can receive a weekly devotional by email by subscribing to my blog at waynestyles.com. There you'll also find resources for devotional and Bible land study, as well as a way for us to connect via Facebook and Twitter. There's even an opportunity to support this weekly podcast with a donation. That's waynestyles.com. Thanks for listening.